Across the Fence every Monday afternoon here on KFUO Radio. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado, and your host here on Across the Fence, which is great to be with you talking about the Lord's Word, delighting in our theology, rejoicing in His kindness, setting our imagination on fire with the comfort of the gospel, searching for the wisdom that comes to us from God's Word, especially His law, uh, and, and considering it all together, bringing together some theological curiosities. In fact, to do that uh, in the second half of the show, the second two-thirds of the show, to be technically correct, is going to be my friend Pastor Jeff Boyle from Wichita, Kansas. But in the meantime, to get us warmed up for him, I want to talk to you guys about worry. Which I, I you know if so if you are if you don't worry if you never worry you can probably just tune out now you don't need to listen to the rest of this thing but for the rest of us who are worriers we want to hear what the Bible has to say about it and it's a it, it's an amazingly uh, in fact so, in some ways surprisingly common topic for the scriptures that the Bible is always talking to us about about worrying and it always is saying the same thing to not to do it <laughs> don't worry don't don't be anxious. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to worry about itself. You've got enough trouble to worry about today. And Jesus will say this over and over. Uh, don't, don't worry about the things that the pagans worry about. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about those kind of things. In fact, that was our gospel reading we had yesterday in church. Matthew chapter 6 from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, don't be anxious. That passage, by the way, was my grandfather's favorite Bible passage. It was the passage that was preached on at his funeral. And uh, as he explained it to me and my dad explained it to me, the reason why, the reason why that was his favorite was because my grandpa was a, uh, a fighter pilot in World War II. He was stationed, uh, he wasn't supposed to, he was supposed to go to the Pacific, but from a, it's kind of funny uh, the way things happened, he ended up going over uh, and was stationed in North Africa and would fly over Europe, and he flew P-38s. And, um, and there was a number of times when he should have died. I mean, everyone in his fleet that went to the South Pacific died. Uh, almost everyone who was in his squadron that went over to the European theater uh, died. In fact, my grandfather was flying along one time and he was shot, uh, took out an engine. He was shot, had shrapnel in his arm, and he was able to basically come back to the base and crash land there, and he survived. And, and that taught him something. I mean, he, he knew that he shouldn't be alive. He knew that his life should be over. And, and he thought, well, look, if, I'm, if I've got this second chance at life, if I've got this new uh, lease on life, then what, what can I possibly worry about? The worst thing that could possibly happen has almost already happened. And so how, how can it get much worse? So that, that verse for him was a great a comfort to, to consider the lilies of the field, to consider the birds of the air, how they don't worry, they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, they don't, they don't weave things, and yet the Lord provides for them. And this is what Jesus wants us to know, that the Lord would provide for us. So I'm going to suggest uh, here in the first ten minutes that there's maybe four things that, that we can think about, four pieces of advice from Jesus for those who worry and if you want to read a little bit more about this, you can. I, I, I took the sermon from yesterday and turned it into something like a blog post and put a Nacho Libre reference in there and put it on the blog. You can find it at wolfmuller.co, W-O-L-F-M-U-E-L-L-E-R.co. Oh, which, which reminds me, sorry to get off track, but that reminds me, we got Ian, who's working the board today, 
uh, there in the office, and uh, and he's learning the ropes. And so we want to try to get him a little extra challenge. So uh, if you guys want to call in, we can take the callers and see if Ian can sort out how to how to take the callers there. Andy Bates is he told me he's running backup, and I like to give Andy trouble anyway. So if you want to call in and talk about worry, or talk about what what you do to address worry. Uh, the phone number in St. Louis is 314-821-0850 or anywhere in the universe where there's phones, 1-800-730-2727. Okay, now to it. Four things to do about worry. The first thing that we ought to do is we should see how Jesus makes fun of people who worry. <laughs> now, I think this is, uh, I think this is great. Because one of the problems that we have when we worry is that we take ourselves so darn seriously. When we're worried, when we're sick with worry, which is, you, you know how this goes, you get sick with worry. You, it's, a, it's like a contagion. You want everybody else to also be sick with worry. And, and worry kind of spreads this sort of desperate intensity with which we're grasping at life, this, this sort of uh, um, intense wondering about how things are going to be tomorrow and all that sort of stuff. And so that, that intensity takes over. And so, and so we want we other people to participate in our worry. We want other people to, uh, to jump in and worry with us. We want other, we want other people to, uh, to, have a fel- to, to have a fellowship in our, in our worry, and Jesus simply refuses to do it. And the way he refuses to do it is he makes fun of it. Now, this is how it goes in Matthew uh, chapter 6, where Jesus says, Who of you, by worrying, has added a cubit to your lifespan? Now, in other words, which of you has, by worrying, made yourself taller? Which of you, by worrying, has made yourself more healthy? I mean, when, when have you ever walked down the street and seen someone who's, who's, there, who's tall and muscular and very healthy and said, boy, that person must worry a lot. They must worry all the time. That's how they got so tall and healthy. Or when have you ever seen someone who was maybe older and they got sick and then they got better and you thought to yourself, ah, look at, uh, look at, wor- uh, look at how much worry helped them. Look at how good it is to worry. You know, this is, no, this is just absolutely absurd. And Jesus points it out. He says, which, which, which of you, by worrying, can make, your, can make yourself better? And you, and you ought to know this. Jesus says, look, you don't even need me, the Son of God, manifest in the flesh to tell you this. I've got a lot of important things to tell you that, you, that only I can tell you. But you should know this about worry just by looking at the birds. I mean, look at how the birds fly around. They're not worried about things, and yet, and yet, the Lord takes care of them. And and look at the grass in the field; it doesn't worry about anything. And yet, your heavenly Father takes care of them as well. So why are you worrying? Jesus says to the uh, to the disciples, uh, to the people listening to the Sermon on the Mount, "Oh, you worrier!" He calls them "you little faithers," "you little baby faiths." <laughs> He's just making fun of them. It's great. So Jesus looks at us and he says, yeah, you worry? Oh, yeah, that's really a good idea. I'm, I'm really proud of you for worrying so much because that always makes things better. We say, Jesus, I'm worried that, you know, I'm pretty sick and I'm going to die. And he says, oh, that's good because if you worry enough, then you'll, you'll live. We say, oh, Jesus, I'm really worried about my kids. You know, I'm, I'm worried that they're, they're not going to church like they ought to go. And Jesus says, well, that's what fixes it. If you just worry a little bit more, then they'll come back to church. <laughs> or whatever. I mean, just, look, I'm hungry. I'm dying. I'm poor. I'm, I'm troubled. I'm behind. I'm whatever. And Jesus says, you know what? The really good thing to do is to worry a little bit more about it, and it'll make things better. <laughs> now, now, we know. We know that that doesn't help. 
that our worry doesn't make things better. We know that, but still we worry. And why? Now, here, here's the second point. The second piece of advice for those who worry. So first piece of advice is to see how Jesus makes fun of us. <laughs> and just to know that when we're worrying, we're being ridiculous. But here's the second piece of advice, and this is where it gets a little bit tricky, is to disconnect in our minds uh, the connection that we have between worry and work. Now, I think it, that this could, could just be me, but I, when I read those words of Jesus where Jesus says to us, he says, hey, don't worry about uh, what you're going to wear and don't worry about what you're going to eat. That's, that's the kind of thing that the pagans worry about. If you don't have God as your father, you worry about those sorts of things. But if you have God as your father, you don't worry about him. And we hear Jesus say that and we say, but Jesus, but Jesus you're supposed to work. Don't you have to work? Everybody needs to work. And, and Jesus could say to us, well, of course you have to. What are you talking about? Yes, you should work. And over and over in the Bible, it tells us how we're supposed to work. In fact, I was reading just yesterday where Paul says, this is First Timothy chapter 5, and Paul says, if a man doesn't work and provide for his household, he's worse than an unbeliever, and he's fallen from the faith. Can you believe that? So, of course, we're supposed to work. But Jesus says, well, I didn't tell you not to work. I told you not to worry. Now, but why? Why We, we bind those two things up in our minds and our imagination. We think that if I'm going to engage in this world in some sort of serious way, then I'm going to be worried about it. Now, it, it could be that this is not always the case, there, it, and it shouldn't be always the case, and this is the point. We should be able to work harder and worry less. That should be our goal in life, to be harder workers, and, and very, we should be very vigorous at work and very lazy about worrying. We should just never get around to it. We should be bad at worrying. But we put those two things in our minds, and we think that to, to engage in the world responsibly, meet, res, responsibly, responsibly, responsibly means that we have to amp up the worry. We've made we've made note of this on this program any number of times. Is that there's a strange connection between uh, uh, between between seriousness and um, and 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 being a Christian. Or, the, 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 or, or even grumpiness and seriousness. That if I'm engaging in this world in a serious manner, then I'm I'm doing it and I'm fretting about it and I'm worrying about it. I'm even grumping about it and this sort of thing. And you can hear this on the radio, by the way, when we start to listen to people who are who, who want to they want to demonstrate their passion, for example, about politics. And how do they demonstrate their passion about it? Is by getting angry. See, see, you gotta, you gotta be worked up about something. You gotta be worried and fretting about something if you're gonna be serious about it. Now, that is not the biblical way of things. There's a way that we go about our work. Our, our we work hard, but we do it with joy, and we do it with, and we do it with peace, and we do it without worrying. We do it with thankfulness. So, advice number two is that we want to disconnect. We want to disconnect work and worry. But then we get now, and Jesus gets a little bit more serious, because we say, well, what, so what is the big deal about worry? And I suppose if you guys want to, you know, you could go out on the on the Internet and, and search around, and you could find people telling you about the dangers of worry, how how when you worry, it gets you get sick, and you get cancer, and and you get jardia, and 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 runner's writer's block, and and all sorts of terrible things. You know, you get you get constipated, and your eyes bleed, and worry causes all sorts of physical ailments. Who knows what it does? But Jesus, in fact, Jesus, in fact, is going to get down to the real 
danger of worry, and he's going to say that worry is idolatry. Let's define worry here. Let's give worry a definition. Let's call worry a fear that corrupts hope. A a, a hope-corrupting fear that things are going to go bad and it destroys our hope for what's in the future. And and this is the kind of fear is not what we ought to give to the future. It's not what we ought to give to whatever it is that's worrying us. Fear is what belongs to God. When, When the first commandment says we should have no other gods, it means that we should fear and love and trust in God above all things. And so whenever we give our fear or our worry to anything else, then we are committing idolatry. That is the key, that worry is idolatry, according to Jesus. And specifically, worry is the idolatry of money. It's the worship of mammon. That's how Jesus started the text the other day. Jesus said, nobody can serve two masters. Remember this passage? He says, you'll hate one, you'll love the other, you'll be devoted to one, you'll despise the other. No one can serve God and mammon. No one can serve God and money. You, you have a divided allegiance. And that sort of divided allegiance is what Jesus identifies as idolatry. Now, that, so, so how important is this to know that money is the liturgy, sorry, worry is the liturgy of money worship. And it's important for us to recognize that you don't just have to, it's not like um, it's just the, the rich people are worshiping money. Like you've got to have a huge big pile of it to be a, a money worshiper. In fact, the opposite can also be the case. You can be poor and worship money as well. There's this. It looks. It looks two different things. I mean, one is the worship of I got to have more, just a little bit more, a little bit more, and I'll be happy. A little bit more, and I'll be content. A little bit more, and I'll be generous. A little bit more, and I'll be safe, or whatever. That's the little. A little bit more is like the Gloria and Celsius of the liturgy of money worship. There's always this refrain. But then once you get a little bit more, once you have a pile, now it's a matter of i got to keep it. i got to keep everybody's hands off of it. i got to protect it. That's the, that's the thing that, uh, that's happening there. And so either way, we're, we're, we're worshiping uh, money instead of trusting in God. Which brings us to the fourth point, the fourth piece of advice for those who worry, where Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added to you. The pagan worries because they don't have a heavenly father, because they don't know the love of God in Christ, because the, the pagan worries because they are not convinced that God is, in fact, happy with them. They're, they're, they're going around convinced that God is angry. But you know something better, Christian. You know that God, who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, will not also, uh, together with him, will also give us all things. You, you know, dear Christian, that God has sent his son Jesus for your salvation and for your life and for the forgiveness of sins and you have that treasure the tr- the 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 more valuable treasure of his word and his kindness i was l- looking at psalm 119 today where david says that your commandments are of more value than gold yea much fine gold we have something better we have a we have higher riches better riches that we cling to that we love that we delight in the righteousness of Christ the forgiveness of all of our sins the blood of Jesus this is the treasure that we have and it's the treasure that nothing can take away from us the moth is not going to eat the treasure of the white robes of Christ's righteousness and the and the food the body and blood of Jesus that forgives our sins is not going to rot it's not going to get old 
that we have these things that are better. These are treasures that endure even to eternal life, and we have them from God our Father. So being convinced that the Lord Jesus has shined upon us in his mercy and kindness, that he smiles upon us in his grace, knowing this, we also know that God will take care of us. If God, after all, will give us his only begotten son, then I suppose if you need a piece of bread, he'll give that to you as well. And that's the confidence, the, the, the confidence of faith, which comes as the antidote to worry. The kingdom of God and his righteousness belong to you. When Jesus, says, when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he's not giving you something else to worry about. He's giving you his gifts. He's giving you himself because this kingdom has sought you and it's found you. <laughs> and that's good news. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, and you're listening to Cross Defense. Stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to go see if Pastor Jeff Boyle's on the other line, and we're going to see what he has for us. If you're interested in reading more, visit the website, wolfmuller.co. Uh, leave a comment there, and we'll uh, we'll be in touch with you. But otherwise, stay tuned. We'll be right back. This is the day which the Lord has made. For the lonely and homebound, for the grieving and dying, and for all those who are afflicted in body, mind, and spirit, especially for Join us for a live broadcast of Chapel at the LCMS International Center weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. KFUO Radio salutes our day sponsors, Ralph and Erna Hollemeyer, on this Monday, September 10th, 2018. Ralph and Erna have made a contribution to KFUO Radio in loving memory of Erna's brother, Larry Hollemeyer. Larry was a member of St. Matthew's Church in Brussels, Illinois, and listened to KFUO every day. He especially liked to call into Pastor Hawkinson's program and request his favorite song, In the Palm of His Hand. Larry was called home to the Lord on August 29th, 2009. Once again, we say thank you to Ralph and Erna Hollemeyer of Bethalta, Illinois, today's KFUO Day Sponsors. Life moves pretty fast. One way or the other, it's pretty much guaranteed to pass you by. Missing out on a spelling bee or a softball game is bad enough, but what happens when you and your family miss out on God's Word? That's why we're here, reminding you every step of the way that the Word of God is not about what you do, but about what Jesus has done for you. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Worldwide KFUO. As Savior, Jesus is known to have accomplished many items for our salvation. On the next Law and Gospel, with the help of Mark Smith, we will look at a hymn where one of the items he has done is to break the darkness. We'll explain that. Listen to Law and Gospel weekday mornings beginning at 9.30 on KFUO. Hey, welcome back to Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. I, I was just I was just thinking about worrying about our next guest, but then I just remembered that Jesus says we shouldn't worry. 
Yeah, that's how I was, by the way, all day yesterday. I was worried about the sermon, and every time I'd do that, I'd laugh. Here's the sermon about not worrying, and you get all worried about it. But I, this is no, this is actually going to be a real treat. My good friend of mine, Pastor Jeff Boyle, he's pastors of Trinity and Grace Lutheran Church in Wichita, Kansas. Uh, hey, Jeff, how are you? Pastor Boyle? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks, Brian. Well, thank you for hey. being on the show. This is the, the idea is, did I get it right? It's Grace and Trinity, right? That's right. Good, no, good. But I, I, um, I've got a funny story about what you were just coming on with, about not worrying. We had the same same pericope yesterday. And, yeah. And get this, literally seven minutes before the service started at Trinity, my uh, my usher came to me, and I'm, you know, getting vested, trying to get ready for service, and he says, uh, Pastor, the, uh, the secretary printed the wrong bulletin. So... <laughs> so Everyone in their hands and on the signboard had the bulletin from like two weeks ago. I don't know how it happened, but so so here I am frantically before the service printing off, you know, 50 copies or whatever of the proper bulletin. And and of course, the, the printer takes forever. And, and so as they're coming out and I'm making announcements before the service, I just say it's a, a very fitting week to hear from our Lord. Do not be anxious. <laughs> uh, yeah. Even about... That's Even it. Bulletins not being printed and, and all of that stuff. It, it was a good lesson for me. I was smiling every morning because I just, you hear the word, you hear Jesus. Just, it's just funny. I mean, I think Jesus is yeah. really kind of cracking up about this worry. He's too free <laughs> to worry. And he's just shaking his head at us because we fret about so many things. It's like, ah, oh, Martha, Martha, this sort of thing. And it's like one thing and another thing. And we're like, but Jesus, look, here's something to worry about. He's like, oh, no. And here's something to worry about. He's like, no, no. And so we, I mean, so we, we keep bringing things to Jesus and say, can I worry about this? And he says, no, no. It's, and, <laughs> hey, there's no bulletins. Can I, now can I worry? No, it'll be fine. And he says, but, okay, okay, so I'm getting sick and dying. Can I worry about this? He's like, no, I've taken care of death in the grave. And we bring him the devil. Where, hey, look, here's the devil, the, the arch demon, the enemy of the church. Can I, can I worry about that? He's like, no, no, I've crushed his head. It's, there's just no, there's nothing to worry about. We, but we yeah, keep when, trying. When literally everything's <laughs> been covered, what is there? Yeah, that's right. What so this is how it this this is the great freedom of the Christian faith, right? I mean, how, Paul says to live is Christ, to die is gain. Everything else in between is going to be we rejoice in our suffering. So what what is there possibly to worry about? And yet we go around we're, it's like we're we're it's like we want to be prof, professional at this because we've convinced ourselves that worry is what it means to be a, an adult. I mean, this is, it's like I, I it's, it's like to be a mature uh, engaged person in the world means to have this joyless, oppressive worry about ourselves, and it's simply wrong. It's a it's it's a it's a wrong picture of what it means to be mature in Christ, or even to be a, a human being. Amen. Now that has exactly what you wanted to talk about, isn't it? You know, you know what? Uh, oddly <laughs> enough. There is a beautiful tie to what I wanted to talk about, and I, I did not plan it. This is totally unexpected, but, but really behind what I want to talk about, I, I think it would be helpful to think in terms of, of fear and worry and, um, and all that could go wrong and, and that sort of thing. Like, that's looming throughout, and, and that's the darkness, but then it just gets cut right through, and you'll, oh, I think it's going to work out wonderfully. Well, good. Well, let's see it. So I don't. I I remember you were some class. I, I Homer. Is that what you? We. I have to confess yeah. that we have not talked about Homer 
on cross defense <laughs> ever. Well, don't, don't worry, Brian. I think it's going to go okay. Um, here's, <laughs> can I, can I I'm trying to worry, and I'm laughing myself about it all along. So, <laughs> let, let me set it set up a little bit why I want to talk about Homer. Is that all right? All right, perfect. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So first, um, I here here in Wichita, we're trying to start a classical Lutheran six to twelve school, and um, you know I'm I'm roped into this largely because I've got five kids of my own, and my oldest is in fifth grade, and I would love for her to to be in the first sixth grade class at Concordia Academy, Wichita. And, and so there's, there's this great deal of excitement, but there's so much bureaucratic and, and administrative work that needs to be done in order for this school to actually happen. And, and it's fallen to me somehow by God's own wrath and hatred of me that I'm the one that is kind of spearheading this administrative work, which I'm really quite terrible at. So, yeah, I could imagine. Yeah, yeah thanks. <laughs> So as, as I'm you know, leading these board meetings, and we meet every month, and I try to incorporate a study period uh, before each one, kind of I want our board to all be on the same page as to what it is to be classical, what it is to be Lutheran, and why it is that we're trying to bring this to Wichita. And, and it, it goes well every time, that little study. It's never quite long enough. But anyhow, through various circumstances, we had to move the study to the end at yesterday's meeting. And um, what, you know, we had one board member needing to leave early, some things that need to be taken care of right on the front end. So anyhow, we put the study at the end. And what it did, oh, it was remarkable. It, you know, we were doing, we had lots to cover. And then when we got to the point of the study, it was like this peace. I mean, a true peace came over everyone, and we just were able to relax and enjoy this incredible gift that God gave us through the wisdom of man uh, in Homer's Iliad. And it's, it's really beautiful. And so I, I'd like us to, to come into it that way, that this little reading that we're going to go through uh, brought a calm, a peace, a reflection for the whole board, and a reorientation of what it is we desire for these middle and high school kids as they come through Concordia Academy. There is, is there's something about, I mean, the idea of the classical, the classically educated mind, if if I have it right, is is a uh, that there is a freedom that's there. Uh, that yeah. that's that's why we call it the liberal arts, is because it's the there, there's a freedom that's being delivered to us in the arts, so so it doesn't surprise me. I mean, it, this has been my own experience too. Is whenever you're, we're reading these old things that have been treasured as parts of human culture uh, for centuries. That there's a, um, yeah, there that there is something like a peace that's there now. But but yeah. is there something about what? So what part of the Iliad set that up for us? Good. Okay, so that's the second context. The first was the more immediate, where wh why we're going to look at it right now. Where we are is we're going to be book six, if anyone's got their Iliad lying around uh, and wants to follow along. We're in book six, and I'm going to start it around the line 369. Uh, and, and what's going on in book six is that 
uh, the gods have pulled out of the, the battle, and and the Achaeans or the Greeks are, you know, they're just gaining and gaining, and they're they're winning this this part of the battle, and so Helen calls Hector back to um, to kind of uh, regroup, but also s- set up various uh, uh, offerings at the at the Temple of Minerva, and so you've you've got this coming back to Troy. And, and the part we're going to be looking at in particular is as Hector does come back, and Hector's, I mean, he's the son of Priam, he's, he's the, uh, there's all these great names for him, the Hector of the Shining Helm or the Breaker of Horses or, you know, all sorts of these great and honorous titles, but, but he's, he's the guy. And as he comes back, he's coming back to visit his wife. And what we're going to see, well, I'll, I won't tell us what we're going to see. We're just going to hear it, and we'll go through it bit by bit. I'll, I'll make a couple breaks. I think we'll try to take this in uh, four sections, and and we'll see where it goes. All right. Sounds good. Okay. So this is first, and I'm going to start at around line 369. And by the way, I'm reading the uh, Richard Lattimore translation, which I think is quite good. It's from like 1950 or 1951 or something like that. But Okay, so here it goes. So Hector, speaking of the shining helm, departed, and in speed made his way to his own well-established dwelling, but failed to find in the house Andromache of the white arms, for she with the child, and followed by one fair-robed attendant, had taken her place on the tower in lamentation and tearful. When he saw no sign of his perfect wife within the house, Hector stopped in his way on the threshold and spoke among the handmaidens. Come, then, tell me truthfully as you may, handmaidens, where has Andromache of the white arms gone? Is she with any of the sisters of her lord or the wives of his brothers? Or has she gone to the house of Athena, where all the other lovely-haired women of Troy propitiate the grim goddess? Then... In turn, the hard-working housekeeper gave him an answer. Hector, since you have urged me to tell you the truth, she is not with any of the sisters of her lord or the wives of his brothers, nor has she gone to the house of Athena, where all the other lovely-haired women of Troy propitiate the grim goddess. But she has gone to the great bastion of Ilium, because she heard that the Trojans were losing, and great grew the strength of the Achaeans. Therefore she has gone in speed to the wall, like a woman gone mad, and a nurse attending her baby carries the baby behind. Okay, so we're going to stop there for a minute. Okay, so I think I got it. So Hector comes home, his wife had dropped keys, she's gone. Where is she's she, gone. he asked the handmaiden. She's, uh, she's not, she hasn't gone to worship at the Athena temple. But rather, she's gone to the wall to mourn. Yeah, to to mourn, and and I think even even more. I mean, she's mad, and and I think what part of what makes her mad in this is that's not her place. She, this is what we're going to see is uh, I think a very strong vocation theme throughout. But she would be mad to go to the wall, which is where you know. There are spears that are piercing people, arrows that are flying, and uh, that is not the place for Andromache of the White Arms. Hmm. Hmm. And, and I, who knows? 
is it is it simply to lament or is it i kind of read it more like here give me that spear i'm going in right so she's going to go and defend the city she, uh... yeah, she she's just so mad crazy i mean she is so uh, emotion is going to be a big part of this as well but she's so caught up in in fear in anger in in um lamentation as well but but i think it's fear and anger that are driving this and 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 she's going to go and and do something who knows what it's not she's not like thinking this through now now there's something and pastor boyle you and i have talked about this a number of times i think about how um there there's this comes from cicero where we get this line emergency knows no law or necessity mm. knows no law um mm. and luther will quote that even in the large catechism that so there so there's a problem is that when there's a when there's a true emergency when things are really truly falling yeah. apart then vocation sort of falls yeah. over like so, yeah. so our vocation is we're sitting here talking on the radio but if if someone like if someone crashes the car into the church then I quit talking on the radio and I go attend to that emergency yeah, right um right. and and people have learned that now i mean it's it's one of the most kind of it's a political trope now no you can't let any emergency go to waste uh, mm-hmm. Is the idea, but so that they, people are always now trying to, if they want to destroy the ordering of the world, if they want to attack the clear lines of vocation, then they're going to create an emergency. Um, yeah, and it seems like that. So that's the that's the theme that's going to be wrestled with here so far, right? Yes, and I think the the other theme with it that is, I think, incredibly applicable applicable for us today is um, someone able to step back. From a, uh, just for a moment, and and actually give that pointed question: Is this an emergency? You know, you know, because sometimes what we perceive to be an emergency, like a two-year-old that or a three-year-old that gets out of bed and and mom and dad don't seem to be home at all. Meanwhile, it's like eight o'clock and they're sitting on the porch outside just talking. They're just not in the house. The two-year-old or three-year-old sees this as an emergency situation where, meanwhile, everything's okay. They just need the parent to come and say, oh, don't worry, go to back to bed, you know? Right. Um, sometimes we perceive emergencies and act as though it were an emergency, and, and that other perspective, that outside perspective, will help order us back into our vocation. Now, that's not to say there aren't real emergencies, but, but sometimes we lose sight of things. Yes. And that's where this worry comes in and the and the anxiety of of life that's fantastic i mean i see it so in the church i think it's always the you have a couple of emergencies the kids are leaving the church we have the emergency of evangelism or whatever and this these things are always coming so you got to leave your vocation you got to leave the way we normally order things you got to change everything up because we've created these emergencies right and you have to react Mm -hmm. to them um yeah like the the church is dying and if if, if we wanted wanted to live or, or grow or something like that, we need to change. Otherwise, we're just being foolish. And, and I mean, there's there's a lot of that rhetoric that goes forth. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we got like three okay. minutes before we got to go to the next break. So oh, maybe give us an, this next section. Yeah, give us another chunk here. Let, let's do this next section. So the housekeeper spoke, and Hector hastened from his home backward by the way he had come through the well-laid streets. So as he had come to the gates on his way through the great city, the Scaean gates, whereby he would issue into the plain, 
There at last his own generous wife came running to meet him. Andromache, the daughter of high-hearted Aetian, Aetian, who had dwelt underneath wooded Placos and sea below Placos, lord over the Calician people. It was his daughter who was given to Hector of the bronze helm. She came to him there, and beside her went an attendant carrying the boy in the fold of her bosom, a little child, only a baby, Hector's son, the admired, the beautiful, as a star shining, whom Hector called Scamandrius, but all the others, Astyanax, lord of the city, since Hector alone saved Ilion. Hector smiled in silence as he looked on his son, but she, Andromache, stood close beside him, letting her tears fall, and clung to his hand and called him by name and spoke to him, Dearest, your own great strength will be your death, and you have no pity on your little son, nor on me, ill-starred, who soon must be your widow. For presently the Achaeans gathering together will set upon you and kill you. And for me, it would be far better to sink into the earth when I have lost you, for there is no other consolation for me after you have gone to your destiny, only grief. Hmm. Since I have no father, no honored mother, it was brilliant Achilles who slew my father, Aetian, when he stormed the strong-founded citadel of the Colicians, Thebe of the towering gates. He killed Aetian, but he did not strip his armor for his heart respected the dead man, but burned the body in all its elaborate war gear and piled a grave mound over it. And the nymphs of the mountains, daughters of Zeus of the Aegis, planted elm trees all about it. And they, who were my seven brothers in the great house, all went upon a single day down into the house of the death god, for swift-footed, brilliant Achilles slaughtered all of them as they were tending their white sheep and their lumbering oxen. And when he had led my mother, who was the queen under the wooded Placos here, along with all his other possessions, Achilles released her again, accepting ransom beyond count. But Artemis of the showering arrows struck her down in the halls of her father. Hector, thus you are father to me and my honored mother. You are my brother. And you it is who are my young husband. Please take pity upon me then. Stay here on the rampart that you may not leave your child an orphan, your wife a widow, but draw your people up by the fig tree where the city is openest to attack and where the wall may be mounted. Three times their bravest came that way and fought there to storm it about the two Iantes and renowned Idomeneus about the two Atriade and the fighting sons of Tidius, Either some ma- man well-skilled in prophetic arts had spoken, or the very spirit within themselves had stirred them to the onslaught. Oh, here we are. Isn't this good? Oh. Yes. Hey, we got we got to take a break here. Uh, we're going to come back, see what Andronomachy is, pro- what the problem is. With, she, she's not only put herself in the wrong place, but put Hector in the wrong place, distorted sure. vocation by her grief. We're gonna, we'll talk about it with Pastor Jeff Boyle on the other side of the break. Stay tuned. We'll be right back on Cross Defense.
Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. Three things make a believer. Oratio, meditatio, tentatio. Prayer, meditation, and growth which is why every weekday morning from 7 to 8 a.m. we bring you Orazio, an hour of solace, contemplation, scripture, sacred music, and faith. Orazio, the dawn breaks with prayer every morning on Worldwide KFUO. The sounding of the shofar announces Rosh Hashanah, a celebration of the Jewish New Year, this year beginning Sunday evening and ending tomorrow evening. Much of the days are spent in synagogue with morning prayers for the new year and readings from the Torah. The blasts of the shofar follow the readings of the Torah, including Genesis 21, 1 through 34, describing God's remembrance of Sarah's prayer and the birth of her and Abraham's son, Isaac, and Genesis 22, 1 through 24, when God instructs Abraham to sacrifice Isaac on Mount Moriah. It's a time of festivals, meals, prayer, and resting from work. A time to celebrate a new year and the beginning of the High Holy Days in the Jewish tradition. Engage with the Bible in its traditions over the centuries. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. All right, welcome back to Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. I'm joined by Pastor Jeff Boyle of Grace Lutheran Church at Trinity Lutheran Church in Wichita, Kansas. We're talking about ugh, we're talking about the Iliad and Hector finding a drama key on the wall, and she says, "Look, you can, now not only she says here I am in the wrong place at the wall, and but also I want to keep you from the right place. His right place is to go out and fight and save the city." She said, "No, you can't do it. Otherwise, I'll be drowned by I'll be drowned with sorrow." Now, Pastor Boyle, we so we we have something like 15 minutes we're going to run out of time quick so oh. i just want to give you that warning to so that we know where to go you give us the best of what okay. you got okay uh real real briefly on what we just read and then we're going to have to plow through to get get through these next two port portions but first when she said um oh she said, and this is line 410 and 411, and for me it would be far better to sink into the earth when I have lost you, for there is no other consolation for me after you have gone to your destiny, only grief. Okay, so for those that know the Psalms in particular, this is just a beautiful comparison to what we get when we pray something like Psalm 88, which to me is the most horrifying of all the psalms, and in that way also one of the most beautiful and applicable psalms to someone that is in true grief and sorrow, someone that is so darkened, where you have lines in the psalms, uh, like that psalm ends, Psalm 88, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me, my companions have become darkness. It's just this dark, 
um, very palpably painful psalm. I will say that psalm begins, O Lord, God of my salvation, Hmm. so that it rightly orients us towards even our darkest we can speak, I think, in this beautiful way of prayer to our Lord, still trusting Him to be our salvation, even in the midst of everything being taken from us. Hmm. For Andromache, we might as well have given her Psalm 88, because she sees everything. And, and notice the where she places Hector. He is at the end of a list of vocations in her eyes. Um, so, so he is her honored, he is her father, her honored mother, her brothers, and her young husband. So, so notice he comes as young husband last of those four vocations. And the other three have all, for the most part, been slain by Achilles, or Achilles like, treated her mother uh, with mercy. And he treated each with mercy in, in some respect, or at least in honor. You know, there's this great sense of honor in, uh, in the Greek culture here. So, so in any case, Achilles is this world-renowned. Uh, we know him as, as uh, you know, part God. I mean, so he is he is divine, and yet he is man, and he is the the honored hero and Hector's only match. Okay, so that's that's all she pours out her heart, right? So now, what I would do with the kids. Well, this is one of the things that made this so great. It made me think, oh, I can't wait to be with these high schoolers and reading this and saying, well, what do you do? You know, you're Hector. Right. What do, what do you, how do you respond to that? Um, and let them, let them run with that for a little bit. But let's, let's, we could do that with our imagination. We're going to hear how Hector answers her. Okay. This is line 440. Then tall Hector of the shining helm answered her, All these things are in my mind also, lady, yet I would feel deep shame before the Trojans and the Trojan women with trailing garments if, like a coward, I were to shrink aside from the fighting. And the spirit will not let me, since I have learned to be valiant and to fight always among the foremost ranks of the Trojans, winning for my own self great glory and for my father. For I know this thing well in my heart, and my mind knows it. There will come a day when sacred Ilion shall perish, and Priam and the people of Priam of the strong ash spear. But it is not so much the pain to come of the Trojans that troubles me, not even of Priam the king nor Hecabe, not the thought of my brothers who in their numbers and valor shall drop in the dust under the hands of men who hate them, as troubles me the thought of you. When some bronze-armed Achaean leads you off, taking away your day of liberty in tears, hmm. and in Argos you must work at the loom of another and carry water from the spring of Messias or Hyperia, all unwilling, but strong will be the necessity upon you. And some day, seeing you shedding tears, a man will say of you, This is the wife of Hector, who was ever the bravest fighter of the Trojans, breakers of horses, in the days when they fought about Ilion. So will one speak of you, and for you it will be yet a fresh grief to be a widow to such a man who could fight off the day of your slavery. But may I be dead 
and the piled earth hide me under before I hear you crying and know by this that they drag you captive. Huh. So Hector says, hey, look, it, I, I, I'm here to keep you free so that you'll be a wife, not a slave. I have to fight. That's my vocation. Yeah. Yes, and all your cares, he doesn't delegitimize them. He says, look, those have been on my mind also, lady. Right? So, so don't think I'm, and I think this is one of those, um, when we talked about it yesterday, one of the things that came up is uh, someone said, well, well, wasn't he being just a bit naive and idealistic about the, the glory of war and so forth? And, and it's, uh, it's like, no, no, he's, he's thought through. This is not some uh, shooting from the hip, proud uh, sort of response. This is, look, I've, I have learned what it is to be valiant. Hmm. Okay? I mean, that, that line in itself is, is a beautiful way of handing down what it means to be man, mm-hmm. and 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 that is what he's upholding. So so yes, there is the there is the vocation of what it is to be man, and and in particular, I'm not a man that's going to get my glory for fighting in the war as as so, sort of someone that oversaw it. I'm on the front lines. You know, he's he's not going to let any anything be done apart from his being out there. And right. then on, on top of it, the way he consoles her is, well, of course I'm going to die. <laughs> it's almost like um, that's what happens, and there's no fear of that. The fear is, is knowing that there is suffering that could have been avoided by him simply doing his vocation. Suffering will come, but we don't want to bring about suffering or oversee suffering that had I just acted my part, that would not have had to happen to someone. So huh. I, I think huh. that's where he's studying this. And, and there is this, uh, I think, also kind of the emotive side where he is, there's a plain speaking with her. And he is in this way also calling her up into her own valorous position of being the widow of Hector. Wow. I, I, which is, I mean, I don't know, who would do that today? Right. So, yeah. Um, hey, there's one more part. Yeah. Okay, let's part. let's get to it. Let's dish it up. So speaking, glorious Hector held out his arms to his baby, who shrank back to his fair girdled nurse's bosom, screaming and wow. frightened at the aspect of his own father, terrified as he saw the bronze and the crest with its horsehair nodding dreadfully as he thought from the peak of the helmet. Then his father laughed out and his honored mother, and at once glorious Hector, lifted from his head the helmet and laid it in all its shining upon the ground. Then, taking up his dear son, he tossed him about in his arms and he kissed him and lifted his voice in prayer to Zeus and the other immortals. Zeus and you other immortals, grant that this boy who is my son may be as I am, preeminent among the Trojans, great in strength as I am, and rule strongly over Ilion. And someday let them say of him, he is better by far than his father, as he comes in from the fighting. And let him kill his enemy and bring home the blooded spoils and delight the heart of his mother. So speaking, he set his child again in the arms of his beloved wife, 
who took him back again to her fragrant bosom, smiling in her tears. And her husband saw, and he took pity on her, and he stroked her with his hand and called her by name and spoke to her, Oh, poor Andromache, why does your heart sorrow such for me? No man is going to hurl me to Hades unless it is fated. But as for fate... I think that no man yet has escaped it once it has taken its first form, neither brave man nor coward. Go, therefore, back to our house and take up your work. Take up your own loom and the distaff and see to it that your handmaidens ply their work also. But the men must see to the fighting, all men who are the people of Ilion, but I beyond all others. So glorious Hector spoke, and again he took up upon the helmet and its crest of horsehair, while his beloved wife went homeward, turning to look back on the way, letting the live tears fall. And as she came in speed to the well-settled household of Hector, the slayer of men, she found numbers of handmaidens within, and her coming stirred all of them into lamentation. So they mourned in his house over Hector while he was still living, for they thought he would never again come back from the fighting alive escaping the Achaean hands and their violence. Okay. Now, I, so I, now I missed something in there. The, the tears freely flowing, were those the tears of Hector or Andromache? Andromache. Okay, okay. Now we got three yeah. minutes, Pastor Boyles, uh, okay. so oh. make sure we do not miss the main point here. Okay, the, the main point, I, so I think there are a few, at least, uh, to discuss. First is the humanity of all of this. Mm -hmm. he, he is husband and father and and there's uh, one of my favorite lines in that is when uh, even through her tears andromache smiles when she sees him tossing up the boy right mm -hmm. and That's and, and laugh the laughter at the boy who is terrified by this massive warrior's helmet he's like oh man i forgot and he takes that off sets it on the ground and then he picks up his boy and plays with him so there is this um, juxtaposition throughout, and, and almost you could call it a serenity, throughout this entire book, which is all about a war, that there is still this humanity that is underlying and, and pulling you back into all of this. And in that, Hector is being the man. He is uh, uh, the, not machismo or anything like that, but he is the one that is fulfilling his vocation to his family, to his son and to his wife, to his home, to his country, to his land, and even in this very pagan context, to the gods, so to speak, to, to Zeus and the other immortals. Uh, all of it is, this is simply doing what we do. And then when he tells Andromache, go back and do your thing. Take up the loom and the distaff, sew something, you know, and uh, recognize these are our vocations. It's almost like when Luther was said, what if you were told that the world was going to end tomorrow, what would you do? Plant a tree or something? Like, you just do what you're given to do. Pastor and, Jeff Boyle, I, I, I appreciate yeah. this is really fantastic. This is a, we need, oh, we need a couple done. of hours to do this. I can't believe it. Ah, the two, two quick things. Um, yeah. And exactly what you said is we see the world falling apart. We think we need to be some sort of hero to go and fix it. But this is, this reminds us, look, if we do our business, if we take care of our homes, if we do the work that the Lord is getting us, then the little bit of order that's there, uh, will be a blessed order. And, and to remember, that God in his soldierly strength is terrifying, but he, he lays his glory aside in the humiliation yeah. of the cross so that he could toss us up like, a, like little children, like a gracious Heavenly Father. Yeah. Absolutely stunning. So that we could look at him and smile, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah.
Great. We're the little child. Pastor Boyle, thank you for joining me on Cross Defense. I can't wait till the next time we have this conversation. And thanks to all you out there listening to Cross Defense every Monday, uh, igniting again your imaginations with the Lord's Word, with the joy and beauty of God and His love for us, the wisdom that He has for us in the law as well. I'm, I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. For more information about Cross Defense and all the other stuff going on, uh, you can visit the website at Wolfmuller, W-O-L-F-M-U-E-L-L-E-R dot C-O. And we will look forward to talking to you next week back here on Cross Defense. Listening to Cross Defense, produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314 996 1518. Or you can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at KFUO.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO.